You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Excited to be joined by one of our favorite fellows from the 2016 class, one of our favorite alums, Garrett Andrew Snyder. PhD is here. Got to make sure to get the PhD in there. We don't have many PhD Zag guests. So without further ado, let's get to The Good Doctor. All right, Garrett, I'm glad you're on. So the reason you're, you're on, other than it's good to catch up with you, I haven't seen you in a while. So you had the unique experience of being in the LA Times recently. Can you share with folks why you were in the LA Times? Yeah, so there's a section that I've been reading for a while now called uh, LA Affairs, and it's about the experience of dating in LA. And it's actually open to the general public. You can, uh, you can just kind of cold submit to that, to that uh, section. And I've been, I've been working on writing on the side. And so I thought, you know, I really love this column. I want to get published and get out there. So I submitted an article and that was actually back in December of 2017 when I actually submitted. Um, yeah. And so when did the article post? The article posted just like a week ago. So it was just mid January of 2019. So, so I, I was going to ask, so like on their end, how does that work? They give you a heads up like 24 hours in advance, like, hey, this is when it's going to run. Did they have any revisions for you when you submitted it the first time? How did the kind of back end of it go before it showed up in the paper? Yeah, well, I had so I submitted in December 2017 and I heard absolutely nothing for like six months. And then I just got an email from Valley Times saying, hey, did this really happen? That's like the only question I had. Like, did you make this up basically? And I was like, yes, this really happened. I, there were people there with me. And, um, and so this is totally the God's honest truth. And then I didn't hear anything for like another month. And then I got another email saying, we're going to publish this and we're going to publish it around December or January of, um, <clears throat> of 2018 or 2019. And then I didn't hear anything until the Sunday before it was going to go up. And um, they're like, hey, we're going to be on deadline. We need you on email because, you know, <laughs> we're going to need you to turn around things like right away. And then, uh, and then they just like threw a bunch of revisions at me, uh, some copy edits at me. Um, they retitled it, and and it was a very intense, fast process. You can tell the editors are working very hard over there. Nice. Well, hats off to journalists. And let's talk a little bit about the content. So. How would you describe to people who may not have read it, and hopefully we'll read it after this, after listening to this podcast? How would you describe the the content or the thesis of the thing? Uh, so basically the premise is that I had, so I had decided I was going to prioritize my personal life in 2017 and really make a go of uh, trying to find, find love, find love in Los Angeles yeah. uh, with the help of a dating app. And so basically it's my journey through all the ups and downs and disasters and <laughs> all of that that goes into modern dating. Yeah, so I was curious on that. So one of the the parts of the story that caught my eye was you, when you say committed to uh, finding love, it seemed like you were serious about it. You had a, a almost algorithmic approach to trying to meet a lot of people and find the right connection. Right. Um, and then you also had a sort of a, another approach, maybe more serendipitous, and hey, we'll meet someone when you meet somebody. Um, and that's kind of the crux a little bit of the story itself is, is you're kind of searching for one person in particular. Can you share folks a little bit like what that uh, kind of end part of the story is about and, and, and the person you were trying to connect with? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, so there's a lot of conventional wisdom about dating. So there's the idea that if you, um, that one people will say it's just a numbers game. So you just got to like date a lot of people to find the connection. The other thing that people say is that you can't force it. And so these are kind of intention. And so I kind of set out to test both of them. And, you know, you know, the experience of being on a dating app is you kind of get wrapped up in people's persona. And so you can, you can get very excited about a stranger um, based on very little information. And uh, <clears throat> I don't feel that's, I'm uncommon in that, unusual in that respect. But I, I had the experience of someone who I connected with in a very sort of like uh, tenuous way on an app. I actually got to meet them in real life and have a real chance to approach and introduce myself and make a real connection in real life. And then I guess you'll have to read to find out what happens. Nice. Good, good tease. Good tease. LA times. Thanks you for that, that tease. And we'll, we'll make sure to post the link. So I'm, I'm curious, what reaction did you get from kind of friends, family immediately and what any other random things might've happened once this went live and your name was attached to it? Yeah. So the, re- the response was pretty positive, right? So for at least yeah, a lot of the response was positive and, and within my circle, obviously it was, it was very positive. People were, we're proud to see my name in print. Um, and I got a lot of, I got a lot of like, people were like, yes, I, I relate to that experience of just, just these kinds of like the highs and lows and the sort of like fantasy you kind of get caught up in, um, on dating apps. But I think there's a broader thing of like what happens in social media where it's like people kind of get caught up in like fantasies or outrage or whatever it is. This it's, it's, it's all part of this like current moment. Um, and so people are really related to that. People also related to the frustration, disappointment, um, and, uh, the serendipity as well. Um, there, so, so that was the response from like mostly friends and family. Um, I did get the, I did have the honor of like getting internet trolled, which was my first experience oh. of that. <laughs> what was yeah. that like? <laughs> I mean, that's also a very interesting experience, right? It was it was mostly in the comments section below the actual LA. Oh, sure, sure. Experience. And um, it's a weird experience to have people you don't know just like like um, talking negatively about you based on very little information. And so it, it was just like sociologically, it was fascinating. And and some of the people you could kind of, you know, you could see what else they kind of commented on. And there were some people were who's I guess they're just spending all this time just going through LA Times and other websites, just saying net, like hostile and <laughs> nasty things about people. And it's like, well, uh, how do you have the time for this? <laughs> Why is that worth your energy? But, you know, like I, it's, it's, I took it with a grain of strong. In a certain way, it's a compliment. It's like a compliment to have put myself out there and to have people react to what I had said for good or for bad. Like that. And that's, that's, uh, that's part of the game. And uh, I think if you want to do anything, in the world, you kind of have to have a thick skin and accept that people are not going to, some people are going to love it. Some people aren't. Um, oh, I should say that I, I got propositioned by a couple of people. So that was proposition yeah. for going out on a date or something. Romantically. Or? Yeah. So I got a couple of romantic propositions. Were they propositions that were interesting to you or just propositions you wish you could delete and ignore? <laughs> It was all, it was all, it was all flattering. Um, some, some of them, I didn't really see it. Okay. But yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, that's also going to ask. So with this, with the with the events in the article transpiring almost a year ago now, it sounds like what was your? Did you land on an ultimate side in terms of being more deliberate about dating in a high volume sense or on a serendipity sense? Like where did you end up landing once this whole kind of year of trying to make that happen was over? I, I, I so so I think. So where I fundamentally ended up was that I don't really have that much control over the process, right? I think that the the, con- the conclusion was very true to how that year had changed me. I don't feel that I have a lot of control over what happens. Um, and so that actually, there's a lot of, um, I don't know, there is peace in that to be like, yeah. So I guess I ended up on the, you can't force it, school of thought. And I, I think that's a much healthier approach to things. And I think it's... a it's actually more more attractive if if you're in a yeah I can't force it things will happen people will take their time people make their decisions whatever happens will happen so that's where I am these days I like it well listen I admire you putting yourself out there and we're always like seeing NLC people in the LA Times so uh, it's <laughs> probably not in that story. way though <laughs> no no you're a great writer I love seeing it it's, it's good stuff thank you Eric. That's yeah wonderful. and when well, there <laughs> nice. And when we come back after the break, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Garrett's life outside of the LA Times and the dating scene. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. All right. So tell folks what the PhD is in, in the Garrett Andrew Snyder PhD. Yeah. So I'm a PhD in sociology. I, I kind of specialized in a subfield known as political economy that looks at the intersection between the political system and the economic system and, and vice versa, which I think is, you know, very much in line with a a lot of what progressives think about. Yeah, absolutely. And so how did that translate into uh, job life and professional life for you here in Los Angeles? Yeah. So that, it was a difficult transition. So I kind of, in my twenties, I'd envisioned my career as being a, a professor and a policy expert, sort of like a policy wonk kind of guy. Uh, but there's a long story about why I ended up leaving academia. Um, but where I landed was as a uh, union researcher. So I'm, I'm in the research and policy department at the Writers Guild of America West, which is the labor union of uh, Hollywood TV and film writers. And a lot of it actually applies. So a lot of what we're dealing with is questions of corporate power, market structure, um, inequality, um, worker rights, uh, you, know, you know, health and pension policy, uh, a, a lot of, a lot of uh, very important political and policy issues that progressives care about. I'm able to work on them um, very actively and sort of apply the sociological knowledge, uh, kind of big picture that I picked up through my graduate education. Yeah, you know, when we met for the first time in 2016, obviously things were changing in the entertainment industry a lot for streaming reasons and for other reasons, and, and things have only accelerated in terms of pace of change since then. So like, what uh, what's your take on pressures when it comes to uh, what Netflix is doing or Amazon or if Apple gets in the space? Like, what does that do to folks who are trying to make a living in the industry itself? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the the changes have continued and accelerated, and so in so the streaming like everyone's trying to find figure out the streaming revolution, and I mean the big players ha- are having to make some transitions, and the industry is very much in flux, and there's like 
new money coming in. And uh, so, so it's a, it's a very dynamic place to be, but also what's happened to a lot of the creative talent is that uh, they haven't benefited from these changes. Um, partly because of the way that uh, contracts are structured and the new, and the new sort of like this new sort of like streaming model has been actually very bad for a lot of, a lot of creative talent. So for example, um, in a world in which most television is broadcast or broadcast TV on a, on a a 22 episode per season cycle, that's very long-term stable um, employment. And what you've seen is a shrinking of, um, you know, series orders to for like a binge watching. So like the ten episode orders, which introduces a lot more uncertainty into working writers' lives, as well as uh, because there isn't a set broadcast schedule, there the the amount of time it takes to produce an episode has has extended, but the amount they're getting paid per episode hasn't increased. So the overall income has been in decline. Um, and you hear similar things from actors as well, that the streaming transition, despite billions and billions being spent on all this amazing TV and film, it's not ending up in the pockets of creators. And that's led to some pretty serious uh, confrontations between talent and uh, some of the big players. And <clears throat> like we almost, the Writers Guild almost went out on strike uh, the last in the last year over some of these issues. Um, and in the, in the bigger industry, you saw massive consolidation this year. You saw yeah, Fox yeah. got bought. Yeah. Yeah. Fox sold half of its assets to Disney, AT&T bought time Warner, uh, CBS and Viacom are like remerging. Uh, so, and th- these are issues of the consolidation of, um, of, uh, you know, the media, the con- consolidation of uh, this important industry for American democracy in the hands of a very few uh, numbers of players. So, yeah, I was going to say last thing when you think about political candidates for 2020, and there'll be so many folks running for for president on the Dem side. Do you feel like an issue related to trust busting and ending monopolies and some of that consolidation you just talked about? Is that something that should be high on a candidate's list? Like, would that get traction? Would that get support? Uh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Do, you, do you think it's going to happen, though? I, you know, I hear a lot yeah. of the issues that are going to be top of mind for the candidates that are running right now. That's not in the usually top three, four, or five. I wonder if it'll end up changing with some newer folks getting in. Yeah, I, actually, so so the Democratic Party put antitrust back on its platform in 2016. It, it hadn't been there for a couple decades. Uh, so that was a that was a important movement and also in 2016 trump was running on on antitrust he was he was criticizing nbc comcast for (laughs) consolidation right and um and he's so and so he got he got a plenty of applause for some of these like the media is too consolidated you know there's too few people choosing what we watch and hear and so i think there is very wide populist appeal to that sort of message um We'll see. Each candidate, depending on their broader sort of like how they sort ideologically, will emphasize that more or less. But I think uh, Hillary also had an antitrust plank to her platform, too. So it's going to be there. Um, is it going to be top, top of their message? I, I don't know. I, I, I doubt it. But for all of them, but it'll be it'll be in the mix. 
Yeah. All right. Last thing for real this time, since we're still in January, it's resolutionist intention time. What kind of things are you prioritizing for 2019? Yeah. Um, so in terms of my, I mean, I got a lot of personal, you know, just the regular kind of health, happiness, fitness kind of goals, financial goals. Um, in terms of like professional goals, let's see. I don't know. I think I'm trying to figure out like how I can be useful going into 2020. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, we the, the election last year was just such an amazing thing to see so many of these formerly disengaged people who are showing up and and fighting so hard and the and the scale of the democratic victory was pretty inspiring. So I don't know if I continues, um, maybe I'll get involved in more traditional sort of like party building. Uh, maybe I'll work for a campaign. I'm trying to figure it out, but um, I think, I think it's going to be a year of like hard work for me and for all the progressives. Cause things are just so crazy these days, Eric. <laughs> they are a little crazy. That's why yeah. everyone's coming to the zag for relief, but inspiration at the same time, which you definitely gave folks. Thanks for coming on. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode. You can catch all past episodes and there's a lot about 114 of them featuring LA NLC alums and alums across the country doing amazing progressive things. You can find it at Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, all the places you go. Make sure to pick them up now, download and subscribe until next time. We'll see you soon. <laughs>